Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Man, let's have a seat this morning. Thank you so much, team, for for those worship tunes and, and for us to be able to sing with those. It's always a blessing, guys, gals, uh, to, to join with you guys on Sunday mornings. It honestly, highlights of my week uh, to, to join in together with worship, uh, with the body of Christ. Um, it's, it's a pleasure. Well, if you're new with us, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here on staff here at River of Life. And uh, if you've been with us in the last year or so, you, you've, you've known that we've been through some, some good transition, uh, some, some maybe hard transitions, some sad transitions, but some very joyful transitions. As a couple months ago, we had new Pastor Brian up here on staff, and he's, he's here rolling. It's been a joy uh, to work with him. Uh, he's a joy along in the week as well as here on Sundays, and so I hope you've enjoyed that. We've been in this series um, this summer uh, called Seek. And uh, as Brian came in, it was his heart. God, God just kind of led him as, as he starts off here. He really knows that, that God has some things for our church, and I believe he does too. God has some new water, some new territory for our church to trudge into. But before we go diving into some new vision and some new things that, that Brian's got on his heart, Brian, he really wanted to just pause and, and have this, this summer where we're sure people are coming and going as well. It kind of helped. But this summer, just to seek the face of Jesus. And I know for me personally, it's been really, really, really good. Some of you have been reading through the Gospel of John, as you recommended. And uh, I hope that's just been a blessing. We've been looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. Uh, we looked at back in the beginning of this series that Jesus talking about himself. I am the, the true vine, he says. We looked into that. We looked into Jesus being the bread of life. Jesus saying, hey, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. We looked into a, a, that he is the light, that Jesus claimed himself as the light. And Jesus get, got, got a little more heavy, right? And, and he, one week we, we covered where he said, before Abraham was even, I am. And how that was very clearly, he was presenting himself, that he was, the, he was likening himself as, as God. A couple weeks back, we looked at Jesus as the door. The, 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 the shepherd who would sit in the doorway of the, the, the sheep pen, if you remember a couple weeks back, how Brian's message was about that. Great, how he protects the sheep. He literally is the door uh, that will protect us, his sheep. And just last week, we looked at Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. He lays his life down for, for the sheep. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead, and he extends new life to us today. He is the good shepherd, and he shepherds us very well. Well, this morning, we continue on. We have this week, and then we got next week in the series, and then uh, you'll have to just keep listening, keep coming, and find out what we got up our sleeves for this fall in the series. But uh, I won't uh, steal Brian's thunder. He'll, he'll share with that us with, with, uh, next week. Anyways, we've got two weeks left in this series, so, so let's, let's dig in this morning. As we continue in the I Am statements, go ahead, next slide. We're going to be looking into Jesus saying and referring to himself as, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And so as we start, would you turn to John chapter 11? And we're going to be camped out there just here in the beginning where he refers to himself as the resurrection and the life. Leading up to uh, John chapter 11, we have Jesus in chapter 10 talking about, again, him being the door. Uh, him being the good shepherd, he talks about the, the thieves coming to steal, kill, and destroy, and that he's the good shepherd. He's come that we might have life and have it to the full. 
He goes on in chapter 10 in the Feast of Dedication, and he's before different scribes and Pharisees, and he calls himself one with God. I am the Father, our one, he says in, in 1031 of John. And, and, and the, the religious leaders, we're not going to get into it today, but they were, they were very uh, upset about that, to say the least. Uh, that was blaspheming to them, that he would call himself, claim himself to be God, uh, equal himself to God the Father. Uh, Anyways, after all of this, we have this thing unfolding in in John chapter 11 of the death of Lazarus and where Jesus goes and actually rises, raises Lazarus from the dead with resurrection and and power. And but before he does that, we're going to look at where he refers to himself as the resurrection and life. So picking up the story here, uh, Lazarus has become ill. He has actually died. He's been dead now for four days. He's been in the tomb. Let's pick it up at John chapter 11, uh, verse 17 with me. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, pause here real quick. Martha and Mary, they're the same two sisters that Jesus was in their house previously in the gospel, okay? So Jesus has a relationship with his family. And their brother, Lazarus, it's, it's their brother who has died. So you know, let's get into the story here. The, these two sisters are pretty distraught. Uh, Verse 20, so when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been there, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him back, Yeah, I I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? He asked Martha. She says to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Now, real quick, I, I share this passage because it's, it's literally where Jesus. We're, we're not going to camp out here today, but I want to, as we get our juices flowing in this in this statement of Jesus saying, "I am the resurrection and life." I want us to imagine ourselves, put us into, and we should do this when we read scripture. We should put ourselves in the story, right? We should put ourselves in Mary's shoes, into Martha's shoes, into Jesus' shoes, even. What, what's Jesus feeling? What, what's his? What's the tone of this conversation? It's not just a mundane, you know, as I just read it kind of conversation. I think there's something going on here that we'll miss if we don't get into the story a little bit. So as as Martha comes to Jesus again, he's two miles off. Her brother had died a few days back and she's she's probably kind of angry, you know, maybe angry at Jesus. Hey, if you, you know, I wonder if she came up to him. Hey, if you only would have been there. You know, I wonder if it was like that or, you know, maybe she was just sobbing and, you know, Jesus, if, if, you, if you just would have been there, my brother wouldn't have died. You know, what, what's the tone in Martha's voice? We're not sure. Maybe a little anger, maybe, maybe just anxiety and some sadness, obviously some sadness. But it's interesting to me, and it caught my attention, that Jesus says back to her, your brother will rise again. Well, I, wasn't, I bet you she wasn't necessarily expecting me to hear that. 
But in, in, in her theology, okay, so she, she had come to know who Jesus was, and she, she understood that in her, in her theology box that someday th- there's a resurrection, that, that, that sure, her brother's going to rise again in a resurrection future tense, okay? But what does Jesus say right after she says that? What does he say? Because he, right there, Jesus could have said, right on, Martha, you're right. He will rise again. Good for you. Cling to that and run with that. That's what I want you to get out of this. But he doesn't, does he? Jesus stops her, almost stops her, and he says, he says, hey, I, I am the resurrection in life. It's like Jesus is trying to get Martha, sure, and it's nothing wrong with having that theology, Martha, of, of, of a someday Lazarus is going to rise again, but you have no idea. I'm about to raise him from the dead in the present, in the now, with power that is at work right, right with you right now. I am the resurrection of life. I embody this life-giving power. Jesus himself actually embodies it. And I believe Jesus, like he is with Martha, he's trying to get her to see, hey, it's not just about, it's not just about moving. He's trying to move Martha from a theological framework, like a theological doctrine, to actually understanding a, a personal relationship with him, to experience him as the resurrection of life and not just know it as a doctrine. And, he, and he's bringing her along with this. And I think he, this morning, as I prayed about sharing about this, God wants us to know him personally and experience him today as the resurrection and the life, not just a someday. And again, there's nothing wrong with that hope. In fact, the New Testament tells us hope in that day. Someday you're going to get new bodies. Yes. Paul says in, in other places that this tent is, is, this tent is just breaking down. And, but, but I hope for when, I, for when this, this uh, mortal body puts on immortality. Absolutely. We will rise again. But this morning, where we're going this morning is the truth that, yes, there's a someday resurrection, but I want to bring us to some passages this morning that talk about the here and now, whatever present circumstance we're in, there is a resurrected power in life and truth that affects us today. We have a God who is the resurrection in life and it affects us today. So a question, a question that I want us to ponder. How... In Jesus being the resurrection in life, how does that really affect us right now? How does it affect you and I as we wake up tomorrow morning and get up to our jobs, our regular life? How does it affect us today? I want that to be kind of something you're chewing on throughout this message. Well, the Apostle Paul, I mentioned him, he, he's a guy who really understood, you know, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and actually literally taught by the Holy Spirit these truths about what, what, it, what it all meant that Jesus rose from the dead what, what that power, and what that power looks like in the life of the believer today. Paul wrote to different churches trying to get them to understand things that, that God had shown him about what that means. So if we, if we turn from John, turn to Romans chapter 6 this morning. There's a lot of examples, a lot of truth that are tied to the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and life for us today. And you can read it through the whole uh, New Testament. But this morning, I want to point out a few things. If you turn to Romans chapter 6 with me, let's start in verse 3. Paul says this, so Paul's writing to this, this church in Rome, and he's, ta- he's laying out some, some big, big um, foundational stuff about what it means to be in Jesus. And he says this, verse 3 of chapter 6, Do not know... 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, okay, so, so that, okay, so what? Therefore, so what? Just as Christ was raised from the dead, there it is. He's the resurrection life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, what? We too might, what? It's on the screen. That we too might. Woohoo! All right. That we might walk in a newness of life. Now, this verse has kind of hammered me. It really, in the last year, I, I keep coming back to this, but specifically, as Jesus saying, I am the resurrection life, it, Martha, it, it's about today, it's about today. There is a newness of life that, unfortunately, honestly, I can get it sometimes. And some days I wake up and, and, and I can get there and, and I'm, yes, newness of life, this is sweet. And, and joy just fills everything I do. And I know I'm, on, I'm living in purpose. I'm living in mission. I'm living with Jesus filling me with his life and resurrection life. And, and I live out of that. But there's other days and probably more than the other way where I just get up, got to go to work. No, no, no offense, Brian. Uh, you know, go to work. And I'm kidding. I don't really go to work like that. But some, some days we get bogged down, right, with life circumstances. And, oh, I've got to hack through today. You know, I've got to get through today. Oh, I've got to get through my health problems. got to get through my financial problems. got to get through my marital problems. got to get through my relational problems, emotional problems. You know, and we can kind of get this dark cloud and we just kind of get stuck sometimes. But that we too might walk in a newness of life. Next slide. Today, what, what, what we want to do as we continue to talk about Romans 6 a little bit, because Jesus is the resurrection in life, there is, there's a present newness of life that we, as we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as, as we receive and believe him to be the resurrection in life, there, there's a, a change that affects us today, a present newness of life. And I want to just point out this morning as in our remaining time together, just three realities that Paul lays out in Romans, and we'll look at Colossians a little later, but um, really that, that these realities that I think we know, like Martha, she understood she had a theological doctrine about it, and I think a lot of this stuff, it will be just uh, uh, not, nothing new, but I think it's something that we need to start experiencing and really living out of. So continue with me for, in Romans chapter 6. Let's jump down to verse 5 as Paul continues this thought about the resurrected Lord and what that means for us. Verse 5. For, Paul says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Wow. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Wow. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, there's that resurrection life, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now Paul lays this down. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The first reality is right there for us. The first reality is that, we're, that we are dead to sin. 
Because Jesus is the resurrection and life, it's not just a someday. Yes, it is a someday thing, but it also affects us today. We have a newness of life to live out of. The first reality is that we are dead to sin. Now, what does that mean? I I think this expression, honestly, this this dead to sin expression throughout the church, uh, the last couple centuries, there's been books and books and commentaries about this passage in Romans. What does it mean that a believer is dead to sin? Well, to help us wrap our heads around it this morning, I'd like to share just a few things of what it does not mean. And it actually helped me to kind of understand it this week, to, to understand first, okay, let's look at some misconceptions that even some churches have preached over the years that I, I really believe are misconceptions of what it means to be dead to sin. The first one's this. It does not mean that we no longer want or have this desire to sin. Being dead to sin doesn't mean that all of the desire of us to sin just goes away. If anybody disagrees with that, let me know. Talk to me after the service. I'd be interested to hear your testimony because that would be cool if being dead to sin, it sounds like this is like a Paul saying this is a reality to you. And if being dead to sin means that all of the, the, the desire to sin just goes away, boy, that would be great. But that is just not true. That is not true of what, it, what Paul is meaning here by saying dead to sin. In fact, Paul himself, a chapter later in Romans, some of you may remember reading this or, or know this, in, 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 in uh, chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, he says, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it for you. But this is Paul, this is the Apostle Paul wrestling with his own sin. He says, for I do not understand my, even my own actions. For I, do not, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire, sure, to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but I keep doing the evil that I don't want to do. And that's what I keep on doing. And he goes back and forth in this argument with himself like, ah. And he ends up throwing his hands up in the air at the end of chapter 7 saying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes into Romans chapter 8, which is for another day. Anyways, the fact that uh, being dead to sin, it does not mean that we just have no desire anymore to sin. That that want and desire of, of past sins before we came to know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, uh, those desires may still be there, okay? It doesn't mean that they just go away. Second misconception is this, that we are slowly moving away from sin, that being dead to sin simply means that sin is progressively weakening in us, okay? Now, again, part of this is true. We, we as believers, we, we hope that we're growing in our sanctification and that sin is in some ways weakening in us, right? Okay, but this expression dead to sin does not mean, it's not talking about a, a, a progressive uh, weakening of sin in our life. Paul in this passage uses a Greek word for dead and he uses it uh, in the aorist tense. Now, I'm not going to get into this much, but the aorist tense of this Greek word is a once and done past action. So it's, it's not this progressive dying to sin or anything. It's a, it's a once and done past action that has happened. It's a reality already, the way he uses that word dead in the aorist tense. Final misconception that I wanted to share with us this morning before we dive into what, what it actually is. Uh, uh, is, is uh, being dead to sin does not mean that we will never sin again. Some people claim, hey, come to know Jesus as Savior, and there's sinless perfection that's available. It's like, mm, no, 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 no. 
sinless perfection. There's only one man, his name is Jesus, who lived a sinless life and who will ever live a sinless life, period. And plus, if it just, it just stands to reason, the rest of the New Testament, you have the disciples and the apostles and the early church people it, it, writing these New Testament books. And any New Testament book, you, you start reading, it talks about sin. It talks about the fact that, hey, believers, hey, let's, let's not live in sin anymore. That's not who we are. Let's live under the reign of God. Let's, 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 let's look to him. Let's be alive to him. And, and why would the rest of the New Testament talk about refraining from sin if, if it was just easily available if it was, we're just going to be sinless and perfected. So, there's some misconceptions, misconceptions for you. What does sin, uh, dead to sin, actually mean? Well, the best way I could put it is this. Being dead to sin means that we are no longer enslaved. That's a key word here. We're no longer enslaved under the reign, the ruling power of sin as our master. Okay, we have a freedom in our new master's reign over us. Does that make sense? We are no longer enslaved under the reign, the ruling power of sin as our master that we were at one point before Christ. Absolutely. Sin was our master. We had no other way but sin. Timothy Keller uh, speaking into this says this. And it's on the screen. Follow along with me. So, so, and he explains this really well. Outside of Christ, okay, before we come to know Christ as Savior, we are given over to our sinful desires, period. Previously, those sinful desires so ruled over us that we couldn't even see them as sinful. And even if we did, we couldn't resist them. We were completely under their control. Now, however, sin no longer can dominate us. We know we, we now have the ability to resist And rebel against it, praise God. There's a new, yeah, power at work in our lives that's ruling us. So having died to sin, it doesn't mean that sin no longer is within you. Or that it has no more power and influence upon you. It does. But sin no longer can dictate to you. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be dead to sin. That's the newness of life. One of the realities of the newness of life that we can claim and live on today. Because he's the resurrection and life. Now, to this point, I have this weird, creepy horse up here that uh, has been in my storage for a little while. Anyways, I don't know why I never threw it away, but I'm glad I didn't for this example. So, and and I'm doing this not to make light of this point, but to really, I hope this will uh, uh, seal into your brain this picture, because this is just silly. But, so, um, and next slide there. Yeah, so the cowboy, so I'm the cowboy, I'm representing sin, okay? Uh, the horse is us. Okay. This is you and I, this is, uh, you and I, and then the, the reins and the bit are in the sin's hands here. So as you know, if you've ever worked with horses or rode horses, you have the bit in the horse's mouth. And if, if the cowboy goes like this, you know, the horse ideally, you know, will move with the cowboy. And if he pulls it back this way, he'll kind of move that way too, because the bit is kind of connected. There's a connection here and there's, there's kind of no choice that the horse has typically uh, to move. At least that's our hope. Okay, there's a connection and there's, a, there's an enslavement, if you will. Okay, and this is an example. I'm sin. So before we come to know Christ, I'm sin. I'm saying, hey, hey, check out that lustful thought. Hey, check out that drink or whatever it is. Okay, sin, go this way, go that way. And we have no choice but to obey because we're connected. It's, it's our master. 
But Jesus, as the resurrection and life, what happens when we come to know him as Savior and we know him as resurrected life, we have a newness of, of, of life to walk in. Literally, that connection is gone. Our, our, our identities are new. And I would say even there, there's something where sin is not quite, we're not, you know, our identity isn't in sin anymore. We're in Christ, right? So it's not, anyways, however this looks, it's kind of maybe hovering over us now. Now, watch, but watch this, okay? This is funny, I know, but this is crazy. Now, if sin goes, hey, think about that. Hey, think about this. Hey, why don't you do that again? There's no connection. We're free. Now, some of us act just like the same, like, you know, we act like it because we're hearing it still, we're feeling it still, but we, we, we got to know, guys, that we are free. Like, the enemy and sin can yell at us and say, hey, remember how you love to do that? Remember how you love to do this? Remember how you feel when you do this? And you need that to just survive the week and blah, blah, blah. And, and, but all he's doing is yelling. He's just wasting oxygen. And we're free. And I pray that, that, that that's a very powerful representation for you this morning of what it means that we're dead to sin. Sin has no power over us. He is, it is not our master anymore. We have a new master. Sure, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bark in our ear all the time. I don't think, you know, until we die and get new bodies and we literally are glorified with Jesus, I, sin will be, will be barking at us, but we are free from it. We are not enslaved. We are not enslaved. We are dead to sin. Paul continues in Romans 6. Not only in this newness of life are we dead to sin, but we are alive to God. Verse 8, Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, again, here it is, being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, you don't need to turn there, but he says it like this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, yes, present life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Ephesians says it like this, God made you alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and he's raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So back to the Romans 6 though. So we, we have this new life. We have, we've been made alive to God and we need to know that. Now there's a key word here in verse 11 that I want to look closely at. Paul says to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, to consider. Maybe some translations out there may say count yourself or appropriate yourself or some translations, I think the best translation is reckon. Reckon yourself as alive to God. Now, what does it mean to reckon or to consider or to count ourselves alive to God? And why, why would the Apostle Paul very clearly want us to do this? I mean, if it, if it was a reality in our life and it was just something that was easy to do, why, why would he tell us, well, 
you've got you to gotta consider this. You've got to reckon it alive. Well, the Greek word for reckon is, is really basked in this understanding as an accounting term, uh, a banking term, if you will. Let's say you were giving a, a, a trust fund, okay? Here's a big old trust fund, a trust fund, and your name is on the account. And there's a million dollars in there. Wow. Anybody want it? I do. Um, big old trust fund, and, and, and here I am, I'm living life, and I'm, I'm doing life, and boy, I'm in some financial need, okay? And so I'm like going, I have this huge trust fund. Now question, if, if I never go and draw that money out, is that trust fund ever going to make a difference in my financial situation? No. Yeah, absolutely not. I could, I could be in financial turmoil. I could yell at the trust fund. I could hit it on the head. But until I go and actually to the bank and say, hey, I would like to, on my trust fund, I would like to withdraw my money, some of my money to help with buying a new house or whatever, buying a, a horse or whatever it is I want to do to make my life better. I got to withdraw that money, put it in my pocket and use it That process of drawing out is that Greek word for reckon. To reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God is that process of taking that trust fund. Sure, we have it, but we withdraw the money out, put it in our pockets, and and change our life with it. Live in a newness of life. There's a lot of us, myself included, we have this huge trust fund. We, 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 we know all of these amazing truths about what it is that Jesus is the resurrection in life. And we have his Holy Spirit. We can live out of the fruits of the Spirit. We have energy from Christ who abides and lives in and through us. And all this trust fund information and knowledge. And we never withdraw from it. For some reason, we just leave it on the shelf. We leave it out there. And we do life and we're in financial ruins and we're Paul says reckon it consider yourself dead to sin on those days where where that habitual sin is just rearing its head up reckon that you're dead to sin and you're alive to God we gotta reckon it take it out take it out appropriate it and use it Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary I was reading this week, in this, from uh, Romans chapter 6, this idea of reckoning, he says this. Just listen to what, what Lloyd-Jones says here. Take the case of those poor slaves in the United States of America about 100 years ago. There they were in a condition of slavery. Then the American Civil War came, and as a result of the war, slavery, slavery was abolished in the United States. But what had actually happened? All slaves, young and old, were given their freedom. But many of the older ones who had endured long years of servitude found it very difficult to understand their new status. They heard the announcement that slavery was abolished and that they were indeed free, but hundreds, not to say thousands of times in their their afterlives and experiences, many of them didn't realize it. And when they would see their old master coming, they, they began, they'd begin to quake and tremble. And they'd wonder if they were going to be sold back into slavery. Listen to this, what he says. You can still be a slave experientially, even when you are no longer a slave legally. You can still be a slave experientially, even when you are no longer a slave legally. 
whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here in Romans 6 through his word that if we are in Christ, we are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do, it's simply because I don't realize who I am. And then he encourages us, realize it, reckon it. We are alive to God. Take it to the bank. Or don't take it to the bank. Withdraw it from the bank. Right? Put it in your pocket. Live it. Reckon it. Because Jesus is the resurrection and life, for those of us who have believed and received him as such, that there is a newness of life presently that we can walk in. That we're dead to sin. It's not our master anymore. We are alive to God. We have a huge trust fund, but let's, let's learn how to reckon it. Reckon that truth that we are alive to him. Use it. As I was putting this together this week, I had to pause. And I, I, I realized, man, this, you know, we know this stuff. At least a lot of us have known this. And maybe it's, I pray there's some here that this is brand new to you. This is awesome. First time you've heard it. Praise God. Good news, huh? And I pray for, for others. It's just a refreshing reminder. Like, oh, yeah. And, and for us, you know, why is it so hard on a daily basis? You know, we get busy. We get things that we have to do in life. Like my kids start in kindergarten next week. So, you know, it's going to be fun. But it's a new, new busy, you know. It's like, dang. I'm already busy enough. Now we got to shuffle her to kindergarten. You know, it's just life can get busy, right? We got things we need to do around our home. We got things with our family. We got things with our friends. And sometimes our minds, man, no wonder the New Testament so many times says, hey, renew your minds. Renew your minds because our minds are so fickle. They just kind of wander and they go to whatever busyness happens to be at the present moment. I, I had to pause and, I, and why, Lord, why do I struggle with this so much? Not even struggle, but why am I oblivious is the better word. Why am I oblivious to this so much? Why do I find myself not living on cloud nine all the time? Because if this was my reality every morning and and through the day and afternoons and into the evening and how I related to Lauren, my wife and my family and in life, like I would just be a, a bubble of joy all the time because it's good and it's new and it's awesome. But why do we find ourselves so many times just getting into fights with our spouse or with significant others or with people in our life or getting into things and just, just, just living unjoyful realities? We have an enemy. We have an enemy. And I believe the enemy has a big, big deal to do with this. He's whispering things in our ear. He's, he, he, he does influence us. And his mission is to distract us. His mission is to distract us and to confuse us from these truths that we've been talking about. Our enemy, he hates us and he wants us to believe. And not even like on the forefront of our minds, but sometimes in our just kind of in just somewhere behind here, like somehow we just feel like, oh, we're not dead to sin because I'm still sinning. And so I must not be dead to sin. I, sin's kind of still ruling my life. That's the enemy lying to you. Or, or some of us say, I really, there's no way I'm alive to God because I'm just this, I'm a mess. I, you know, I'm a, I always fall down here and I fall down here and I'm not doing this right. That's the enemy hating us. Paul talks about this enemy in, in, in Ephesians 6 of us, uh, as he encourages this church in Ephesus, he says, hey, your, your wrestle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in darkness, the, these dominions that are in the world. And you, that's what you're wrestling against. 
And as we heard in the last couple of weeks, back in John 10, that the thief, the enemy has come to just steal, kill, and destroy us. That's his mission. The Apostle Peter talked, described uh, the enemy as a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking who he's going to devour. We, we need to know the reality of that. But, because Jesus is the resurrection and life, and this is a big but, we are victorious over the enemy. Okay? And I think this is a foundation even for even the last two things we've talked about. We have victory over the enemy. And Jesus has victory over the enemy because he's the resurrection in life. So jump out of Romans. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. I think it's up on the screen too. But jump over there. I want you guys to see here. Paul's going to kind of say a lot of the same type of stuff that we've been hearing, kind of confirm what we've been already talking about. But then he'll add in at the end here how he has disarmed the enemy. Colossians chapter 2, let's jump in uh, verse 11. Verse 11 through 15. So in him, in Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in, in which you were also raised with him. Here it is, raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So not only did he, through the resurrected Christ, are we have new life, are we dead to sin, we are alive to God, but there's victory over the enemy. It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. I got this paintball gun, no, no worries, no CO2 here, and no paintballs, although it'd be kind of fun to just blat Brandon right now. I wanted to give this as an example again, a little depiction. So, and also I wanted to plug the men's retreat. We play paintball at the men's retreat. Wicked good time. In October, what, 13, 14, and 15 that weekend? Men's retreat, put it on your calendars if you want to shoot me with a paintball gun. And or if you want to shoot Brian with a paintball gun. Anyways, ah, rabbit trail. Paintball gun. Ah, so men's retreat. A couple of years back, I was up there playing paintball, okay? We're armed and we're dangerous, okay? We were playing a paintball game called Elimination where uh, if you shoot the, the whole team, when the team is all dead, your team wins. So you're just elimination game. Well, I was one of the only ones left in our team. And so we were looking pretty shady. There was, I think there was two guys left on their team. And these two guys were little sallies. They were in this little bunker house. And uh, it, it, actually, is, uh, is Kyle Emmert here? Was he in the first service? Are you here? I think he was in the first service. Anyways, I didn't say it by name in the first service. But Kyle Emmert and Josh Allen, I'll never forget those two guys. They were sallying out in their little bunker house. And they were sticking their guns through the, you know, through the little cracks in the, in the uh, wood. And they were thumping people, right? I, man, I saw, they're just hiding on there. So I'm just kind of waiting in the bushes, waiting for something. I'm like, I just can't kamikaze. I'm going to get hit, you know? Anyways, the, the, the referee said, hey, five minutes left. So I'm like, okay, 
I'm going to do something. So I went ahead and just kamikaze. I came up around their bunker, and I was like, fum, 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 and they're trying to get me. I didn't know how they didn't get me. But I came around the open doorway, and I was just like, Rambo, pop, pop. And I popped them both. And so our team won. It was sweet. And I was like, ah, ah, it was awesome. But go, this, go here with me. So he has disarmed the rulers and authorities. Imagine me playing paintball without a gun. Same thing, five minutes left. Okay, it's time to go. Ah, ah, ah. You know, I would just get, I would just get shot up. I, I had no, I would have no weapon. But listen, I know it's kind of funny. It's, it is, it's hilarious. But that's the reality of the enemy. But we don't see him like that. We don't see sin and we don't see the, these powers of darkness at work that, yeah, they influence, they got a lot to say. They got a lot of influence, but they got nothing on us. They have been disarmed by the resurrection of Christ and by his life. And therefore, we have victory over them too. They have been disarmed. And so when they come at us, we need to see the reality of the picture. Sure, they may be loud. They might be scary, but they have no ammunition against us. They've been disarmed. Completely disarmed. I know in my life, I, you know, different things come, on, come in and, 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 oh, holy cow. And I almost feel like they have a lot of offensive weapons against me. But no, they've been disarmed. And not only just disarmed, but Jesus put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The ESV uh, commentary speaks to this image of the triumphing. It's the image of a, of a Roman military procession. See, when, when two kings would go to war, when one king defeated the other army, they would parade the king and the, the, the surviving warriors and the spoils of war down the streets of the winning, uh, you know, king's streets, and they would, they would put them to open shame. Ah, look at those, those guys lost the battle. Ah. That's what Jesus has done to the enemy because he's the resurrection and the life. And we need to know that. He's a fool. The enemy is a fool. That's all he is. And he hates me right now for saying that because he knows it's true. He's been disarmed. He's got no ammunition against us. The only thing he has is his weird little voice and his little influences. And, and he's got a lot of people under his reign. But not us. Who know Jesus has the resurrection and the life. He's been publicly made a fool. But so many times we give him more power than he deserves. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Uh, we sang a song earlier that uh, I think really encompasses what we've been talking about. And as we sing this again, I want us to be in our minds, picturing ourselves in these realities of the newness of life that we have. Because Jesus is the resurrected king, he's resurrecting us. We've, we've been in some ways, we've been raised with, we are dead to sin. Sin, remember, sin has no reign. He's not, he can't automatically make us sin anymore. Sin has no power over us if we, if we remember that. Okay, and we have this huge trust fund. And if we would only take, deposit out or withdraw from, reckon it out that we are now alive to God. Let's live out of that. Stuff that in your pockets. Reckon it. And know that the enemy is not running around armed and dangerous. Sure, he's, he's seeking you out, but he has been disarmed. He, it, it, he is disarmed. He's been made a fool. And we have the victory over him.
So let, let's stand this morning. And as we sing, you know, what, what are these three areas? You know, maybe one of these three areas is, is especially hard for you to really get down. Uh, as we sing as well, as we celebrate, maybe, maybe God's really pressing one of those on your heart. Uh, just do some business with him as we, as we close in song. We'll, we'll pray at the end.